just past 7 o'clock, and happy to have Ira back in studio. It's Ira on Sports. True Oldies Channel, I'm Mike Balsamo. No time to delay tonight because we've got so much to talk about. Ira, this is the time of year where you earn your frequent flyer miles and also maybe build up some jet lag. You don't even leave necessarily the time zone, but you do typically so much driving and flying and just dealing with, um, you know, I guess what people would consider annoyances for most people, but you love it because you're all over the place. I absolutely love it. And I'm not the only one because I flew from Palm Beach to uh, at like early in the morning at like 6, 8, 6 10 a.m. on Friday mm-hmm. to make sure I was in Pittsburgh to then take a car to go to Auburn to, to watch Penn State to go to, the, to watch the Penn State Auburn game on Saturday night, which is the night before. On the plane was like 20, 30 Auburn people. Really? It, it, it's unbelievable. In West Palm? You land in West Palm. I land in Pittsburgh and there is no cars. There are no cars. I've been trying to get a car. It's my friend, Mike Zellino, the guest of our show. Mm-hmm. He actually graciously gave me his car, left his car. He was at a recruiting <laughs> trip and I took his car and drove all across to State College and I didn't get it dirty. Don't worry, I didn't crash it. It's fine. <laughs> but then drove but then drove to Penn State uh, for the you know to see what happens Friday night, get the activity there, and then came back on Saturday, uh, went to Altoona for the night and then went back to State College for the amazing whiteout game against Auburn. And then the next day, it's hard when Penn State's game is a night game and the Steeler <laughs> game is an early game. But people are like, are you really want to go to the Steeler game? Yes. Of and course. so, you know, I'm at Penn State at 2.30 in the morning and I'm in Heinz Field at 12.30 the next day. <laughs> and they're, they're, they're far. I mean, they're like three hours apart of each is other. It? So, yeah. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, you... you really put your body through a lot. Like, you're getting jet lag in one time zone, which is not possible, but it's amazing, uh, everything that you do. Uh, also amazing, Patrick Harrington. We had him on this show, was it maybe three months ago? And he, he gave us um, some insight into what we're going to see this week in the Ryder Cup. So we thought it'd be a good time to, to replay this. We never replay interviews. That's like the second or third time we've done this. But the interview was such a great interview. He's the captain of the European Ryder Cup team. We asked him a lot of good, good questions. We had him in when he was here for the Honda Classic. I listened to the interview again. I'm like, this is perfect to, to air this week. And I thought it would be great to put in. And I'm so mad the Ryder Cup is. I, they have to move it out of the football season. Like, this, we're in the middle of the heart of football season. I just wish that the Ryder Cup was had its own time in the summer. I, I do not like it at this time well, of year. What about doing, you know, maybe start on Wednesday, do Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, something like that. Just change up something. Like you said, so you don't have to fight against college football and the NFL. Right, correct. It would make a lot more sense to me. 7.50, right around there, we'll join uh, Padraig Harrington telling us everything we need to do as we get excited for this. Um, College football, it's kind of funny, you know, we were talking before we went on air that we're going to see maybe like sort of a lull. We had a really big beginning of the season, but it might get quiet for some teams with one or two premier games a week, but this was a good one. And obviously... Penn State went all out for it because it was a whiteout. Yes. Well, I, it's for people to understand, like the night before the game, the, a lot of bars did close. I saw close. So there were a few bars that were still open. I saw people standing in line for three, four hours to it's get crazy. in line. It was Unbelievable! The town was packed. There was no fights. I mean, it was it was calm. There were so many Auburn people there, and I love it. I, and that's what's so great about college football is that Auburn fans are. And I can't wait to go down to Auburn next year. And there was this one bar called Champs, and you could sit behind and if I, to get inside. I'm not waiting in line forever. There's this leap the line thing. I'm standing outside with some friends. We're talking. We're listening to the the band, and we're seeing like every like 15 minutes, someone's get thrown out of the bar, and they yeah. bounce across the road, and then they go wander off. And it was just great to be in that atmosphere. Atmosphere, back college football. Remember, this is I haven't been in this environment in like a, a over you know, whatever, yeah. almost a year and a half, two years. So it was just great to have this back in terms of being there in that night, uh, college, state college, with with just the people walking around and the weather was perfect. Everything about it was great. It's interesting that you said. 
you, you felt like there was a different atmosphere because it's been two years for some people since they've been to these events that they love so much. It's more of an appreciation. It's more like, it's one thing when you have something, if you're eating steak every night and then you don't have steak for a while, then you're like, oh, I like that steak. It's like people got used to going to these games. It's like, well, I'm on a big game like this. And then you have a whiteout and the weather is perfect. And it's and it's that type. And you've got a, an SEC school coming in. This is the first, how about this stat? First regular season game on campus between the SEC and Big Ten since 2011. That's weird. That, I, I saw this that I don't even believe it, and Me I'm neither. trying to think anything. <laughs> but it's I mean they've had not uh, neutral site games, uh, but actually an on campus SEC Big Ten game, and that's what made it so big. Is Auburn is a top program, and and that's why this is to me one of the best atmospheres I've ever been to a game. So if we're not familiar with what whiteout is and the whole history behind it, why don't you tell us? Well, in 2002, Penn State uh, was were afraid that Nebraska fans would make a sea of red in the stadium. So they, they said, let's dress in blue. So they started dressing in blue. The students did for a number of years in 2002, 2004, 2005. But then finally in 2007, they said, why don't we just go to white and have everybody dress that way? And it gets, they played Notre Dame. So for the 2007 game against Notre Dame, that everybody wore white. And uh, this was only the first of three whiteouts to feature non-conference opponents. And then from 2012 to 2019, it's usually Ohio State and Michigan. And it's... ABC loves it. I mean, they broadcast game day there because the stadium now, they, they've they been getting 110,000 fans. The same seats, 106. Mm -hmm. They had 109, 988 were the number of students. And it just looks amazing when it's at night. During the day, a whiteout's stupid. But at night, <laughs> everybody's dressed. And it is everybody dressing in white. And it just makes it, to, and they all give the pom-poms out. And if you just go and Google Penn State Whiteout white on YouTube, if you didn't get a chance to see the game, and being there and the excitement and the noise and the, it's just it is awesome. Yeah, TV doesn't do it justice, I'm sure, to being there, but it does look amazing when you're seeing it. You're right. They must There must be like bidding wars, and everyone's lining up to get these games. Not only is it a great football game, but the atmosphere is unrivaled. Yeah, I mean, sometimes they put the whiteouts when it's like in November, like they're playing Michigan, they're saying they make it a whiteout, but most people don't have like white, big, heavy winter jackets, <laughs> but they do, but anybody can buy a t-shirt, a white t-shirt, anything, and everybody wears it, and, and I think that's what makes it so exciting and intimidating. And look, the record on whiteout games are, is nine and eight, so it's not like they win every game. <laughs> but they usually have it against the top teams, and I think that's where the fun and the excitement. And you can even see the Auburn players really embracing it. Here's remember, these are players that played all last year in like eighty thousand seat stadiums with like no fans. So now to come out there and there's a hundred ten thousand, like you have to be amped up for this. This is great. My um, New York Giants running back Saquon Barkley was there. Probably did better than he did uh, on Sunday. He was the guest picker, and what they what the, he was the guest picker game day, and then he went out. And what they do is after like every break in the action, the whole we are Penn State. They would all bring back Penn State legends to come out and go, we are Penn State, we mm -hmm. are. And he was lucky he could be at the game because they played Thursday yeah. night. Even thinking At first I was saying, what's he doing here? Doesn't he have a game yeah. tomorrow? And I remembered, he played Thursday so he could come out for that. Joe Judge would have uh, made him run laps if he knew he was there the day before a game. Be great tailgate for you. I, I've done this before. We, My friend has a, a, an RV and he took it off. He had it worked all, all day, all night getting it all ready to go. It's an amazing RV. And we went up with like, I don't know, 15 people in the RV, get there. We got this RV spot and there was like on a corner and how it worked out. And suddenly anybody who's tailgated or whatever knows you're going to be in the right area. I literally had 100 people at this, this tailgate. This guy who owns a restaurant was like one of the best restaurants. was cooking. When you have people that have your tailgates, make sure people like who are cooks at restaurants that's are smart. part of that tailgate. Yeah. Like that's a smart <laughs> thing to have. And so the food, like I had like 20 meatballs. Like, and I, I don't even like meatballs, but they were so good. <laughs> so it was just that. And then I got to sit in the RV and I had football games. Like worst thing I go to the Penn State games, I can't watch football during yeah. the day. So I'm watching the Florida, Alabama 
game. I'm watching the Cincinnati-Indiana game. I'm just loving it, watching football all day long. It was just great. And the weather was perfect. People were playing cornhole all over the place uh, and just all these games. It was just one of the greatest outdoor atmospheres for the game, for the weather. And as I said, I think there's 110,000 people in the stadium. There might have been a 200,000 in the parking lot plus that. Oh, it's always double outside yeah, yeah. than it is inside. Maybe we, we got an idea, though. You should get an RV now for football season. Make it easier for you to get around people to all these games. People were suggesting that that's what I should do. But I don't think I could drive the RV well. But it's easy. Someone made a comment. They go, when you drive, like we had a different route to go. And they go, don't worry. Cars get out of the way. Cars are scared of RVs. I go, wait. Cars are really scared of RVs. It's the people driving the cars. But it's right. We were trying to pull in there and all the cars parted. It was like unbelievable. It's like you have a big dog and the little dogs ran away. <laughs> yeah, at 712, you're listening to Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Pa- Patrick Harrington will join us at 750. So this was, I love hearing about what happens before the game because it's all about the atmosphere, especially with the college events. So tell us about it. I, I walk into Penn State games and you, I got in. People are nervous because they don't know about how the new system, the security system, you don't need vax, but you need uh, the whole thing. Everybody gets, now people are getting the games earlier. But I got in the game an hour and 15 minutes before the game. I, it was 6.15, I walk into the game. The game starts at 6.30, the game starts at 7.45. There was 90,000 people in the stands. Like, it was unbelievable. And a college packed. crowd's probably not like that usually. Oh, no. I mean, they're, they're, it's like quarter, you know, filled at that time. And it was just totally packed full of people. The players during the warm-ups, they're screaming, yelling. And you know what was funny during warm-ups? They were playing Alabama, like, t- Alabama songs. They were playing all these Southern songs, like being a really? courteous, ho- you know, a gracious host and everything. So that was nice. And you got to see the players warm up. Warm up. And then, but just the loud, the chances started going in. And every day they're playing, it's just, they, they, Penn State likes this zombie nation, Ken Craft. It's called Ken Craft. Kern Craft. Kern Craft. Help me with the song. But I love the song. And that's what they play. So that's that's like the theme of Penn State. That forget about we hear the you know, Nindy Lion, all the shit. That's their song that they play that all the time. It gets everyone excited though. I'll give them that. Um, what else happened before the game? Usually well, it's just it's just the the whole point of people being in the stands for the band coming out, the drum major doing the flip. Um, that the 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 point that it was just the the I think it was that type. Everybody knew they were it was game day. It was gonna be. I mean, Kirk Herb Street's out walking around the field talking to. Franklin and and Harson, the coach of, of Auburn, for the game. I thought that whole atmosphere was just so just I, to be early at a game. I, I was talking to you about Duke and Carolina. So you were an hour before a Duke Carolina game down at Durham, in Durham, um, in there was Cameron Indoor Stadium. It's packed. It's full. But that's eight nine thousand people. It's different when you have a hundred thousand people yeah. an hour before screaming loud before the game. Just even during warmups, like someone makes a feel, uh, you know the, the kicker is kicking the, the extra the practice kick and they're screaming. For <laughs> um, so if people, if you were of the younger generation, you probably didn't know much about Auburn until Cam Newton came on the scene uh, like a decade ago and kind of uh, brought that university back to prominence. You want to tell us a little bit about Auburn? I just think that Auburn, it's its sort of one of those, it's in the shadow of Alabama. It's been in the shadow because Bear Bryant was there, and it's also been the shadow since uh, since Nick Saban but of Alabama. But it's still one of the top, they've been ranked like top 10 They're or 15 programs 10, yeah. in, the, in the country. It's been the SEC since 1933, and they've only won two national t- championships, the Cam Newton year 2000. 2010 and in 1957 they, they also won the national championship but here's what's interesting they, they really want to be good they had a buy so gene chizik in 2010 won the national championship won the national championship two years later he's fired and they give him an 11 million dollar buyout <laughs> then gus malzahn gets the coach 2013 he takes him to the national championship game we had sammy Coates on talking about it, it was a wide yep. receiver of the game where they lost to florida state he takes him to the national championship game they lose and he had a th- and at that point he had, he had a three and five record so against save it nobody 
nobody has a three and five record against Nick Saban. I mean, True. So he's beat Alabama three times and he gets fired and he has a $21 million buyout, the largest buyout ever. So they clearly are obsessed to try to find the next Nick Saban. But then they brought Brian Harson, who was the coach at Boise State in. And that's what we're looking in terms of what was happening. And I think this, for me, the game was Bo Nix. Bo Nix was one of the top recruited high school quarterbacks in the country. He chooses to go to Auburn. Rookie year, amazing. Great for a rookie. Freshman year, great. Last year, his numbers were the same, but it was sort of like, it was almost a step back. He does, he's the one, when they're playing bad teams, puts up big numbers, but against the the good teams doesn't play well, and so this was about Bo Nix and how can Bo Nix is can be an NFL quarterback really. So that's what we're interested. He's about. definitely getting watched for it. You know, he's on everyone's radar. So what what happened in this game? Because it ended up being a pretty good one. Well, Penn State, it was it was one of those things where Penn State started the game. They drove down and it went on fourth and down, and they were stopped on again with the crowd into the game. I think it was a smart move. It's forty four yard line. You go on fourth down, you get stopped, and then uh, they left. Then Auburn got a field goal, made it three nothing, and then. Sean Clifford for Penn State. This was a defining moment. I've been critical of Sean Clifford. I don't think he stepped up. I think he's played well, but it's, I think people can get better and they can get worse. And Sean Clifford, this is his coming out party. This game, because he then, he, he threw a stupid interception, almost a stupid interception, but then he, it, he didn't make it. He was lucky on that. And then he starts throwing to his tight ends, and that really what happened. I mean, he started using this Brenton Strange and Theo Johnson, using the tight ends, throwing it up the middle of the field, and that was great. It led to a touchdown. Uh, but they have running. Um, Auburn has a running back called Tank Bigsby. Is that the greatest name for that running is very back? Good. And Tank is so good. Like Tank was, he's big like a tank, and he runs fast, quick feet, and he was able to you know lead them down for a touchdown. And then there was in this in this in the second quarter the most amazing thing I, I don't think I've ever seen a game. So Clifford goes to throw the ball. You must have read about this. Clifford goes to throw the ball on first down. It was first down. They got a first down. And the receiver fell down. So he just throws the ball like 70 yards down the middle of the field. There's not a Penn State quarter player around it. But they called it intentional grounding because you're in the pocket and there was no receiver around it. So Penn State's yelling and screaming intentional grounding. Next thing they know, they run it. So it's a loss of down. So they next thing you know, it's now second down. But it really, they, they said third down. So the scoreboard said one. Another thing is that you think that this is a big game. This isn't like mm. a little bitty league football. So there's a question. So there was third down. They run another play. Then they go fourth down. So Franklin and Penn State are screaming and the fans are screaming. They're like, it's not. It's, it's still third down. It's still third down. So Penn State punted on third down because the, the referee said it's fourth down. And then you look at the box score and how it is. It goes, Penn State on third down punts the ball. Like, I don't think I can. <laughs> you imagine in a game like this, if people, it's like it's like you play tennis, you might lose track of a score, but you don't lose like in a game like no. this what the down is. No, it's embarrassing. We, we so a few weird things like that happened this week, especially um, in the NFL. What happened after that? But then what, you know, Auburn then I thought had a chance. It was so weird that Auburn I thought had a chance. That's when I looked at Bo Nix and said, Bo Nix is going to take this game mm-hmm. over. They've already went down and scored. And then he goes three and out and punts the ball, which I thought that was a chance to go up 17-7. But then uh, Penn State, uh, Jahan Dotson is a, a wide receiver, and they Parker Washington. They're two wide receivers. NFL quality for Penn State. Dotson had 10 catches for the game, and then they threw a touchdown pass to, to Strange, Brendan Strange for the uh, 14-10 lead for the first half. But that was like, and then at halftime, my gosh, <laughs> first of all, if you think you're going to go to these games and you're going to get any type of food at halftime, give it up. Because yeah. it, the, there's less people 
working and everyone takes you have to take credit cards and at the Steeler game it was even worse than Penn State game but I've never seen lines like but who wants to go to a football game and stay in line for two hours while you get like a hot dog no I mean most games I won't even try to go to the bathroom it's like <laughs> I'm gonna miss miss some action so let's go to the second half Auburn fumbles the ball in the first play and then Penn State again they use Tyler another tight end called Tyler Warren in the Wildcat and they made it 21-10 but then Auburn ran the ball like they again when Nix wasn't throwing the ball well they just started running the ball ran it right down 21-17 and then this is another I thought the key moment in the game Penn State did a fake punt it didn't work Auburn goes all the way down to the one yard line it's end of the third quarter now they're away from the student section and it's 20 at 21-17 it's fourth down like a few inches to go they, they kicked the field goal. And yeah. I would have gone, and then I, I think if you're the underdog in the game, they were a six-point underdog, I think you go for the touchdown. I think with the running game, like they were running it down Penn State the entire game. Like, go for the go for the touchdown. They go, so that made it 21-20. And then Clifford made the play that he, it was second and seven. He's flushed out of the pocket. His back is to the action. He's being chased. And it's like, he was going to have a, like a 25-yard loss. He throws the ball across the field, which I never thought it arm strength for that, to uh, John Lovett. And then they ran down in and then it was to like it was like a 17 20 yard gain but what he did was he got hit hard he's on the ground like groggy but he gets up and he just sprints and they sprint to the line of scrimmage and then he realized they must have done it twice during the game they knew the tight end was going to be open they ran they didn't wait a second they just snapped the ball they threw it right to the tight end for a 40 yard pass that would let it down for a touchdown maybe 28 20 and that was the key thing Clifford did not only did he make the play he got hurt knew to get up and run put the yeah, play the a lot of times that's what teams like I think they're surprised like you want to put the right form and sometimes the team on defense on a big play just go for the juggler right then and there. I mm-hmm. love that. Like that was really good. I was real impressed with that. No, and smart. Right. <laughs> have the, the, yeah, have the, the common sense and wherewithal that we can abuse them here if we get to the line. And they have because they, they were shocked that the big play was happening. And they should know if we hit a big play, then we're going to run it to the tight end. Mm-hmm. We'll put it, and literally the tight end just ran down the field like Gronkowski does, and, and they scored there. And then Auburn had the ball three more times at the end of the, in the fourth quarter, didn't, didn't score. And with three minutes left, they had fourth down and goal in the Penn State, too. So now they had their chance where they had to score. They're down by eight. And then they tried a stupid pass play that didn't work. Now people are saying Penn State interfered, whatever, like that. But, um, and then Penn State was able to left 45 seconds to go and Auburn still had another chance to score and didn't and didn't mm-hmm. do it but Knicks ended up with 185 yards tank they, they ended up running for 182 yards uh, almost all the stats were even but Clifford's day was amazing 28 for 32 only four incompletions 200 yards and two touchdowns and then of course after the game is over I was thinking were they going to storm the field for this game but they did it and I'm, I'm going to give Penn State fans credit because it wasn't a storm the field like you're no that's you're, not storm it's, the right I did yeah. think it was a storm I was nervous about they would because I hate when Penn State like we're supposed to be Penn State and then you don't storm the field on a game I like can't that. Think, you beat Alabama, maybe, but there's no other. Yeah, you're right. Unless you guys are winning the national championship, we, we've been here before. We, we can stay That's in the exactly what yeah. I said. I was so glad that they didn't storm the field. I was happy for that. A, a Division two school beats a, a Division one. You storm the field. You don't get to do this every day. I, they play Michigan. I think Michigan might be undefeated. If Michigan is undefeated <laughs> at the time and Penn State had beat OSA, we're two undefeated teams. It could be like number two playing number three. I think we'd be Michigan. I think that might be a storm the field type game. <laughs> It's 722 Iron Sports True Oldies Channel. Padraig Harrington joins us at about 750. So, Ira, I'm pretty glad that I don't make a lot of bets on college football because after watching Alabama for the first two weeks, I'm looking at this game and, like, they're going to beat the brakes off of Florida. Florida's not that good. Alabama's this juggernaut. Boy, was I wrong to the extent that Florida should have won this game. Let's talk about it. Well, I think it was – you were right for the first quarter. I got to watch – 
Everything yeah, about the fourth quarter. I hated missing this game, but I was <laughs> leaving the, the fourth quarter for the, for the game. But uh, Dan Mullen, the coach of Florida, is 0-10 against Nick Saban, which is, and uh, Bama has won eight straight. But remember, in the title game last year, that was a great game it between was. Florida and Alabama. So Florida's getting really close with that. And But this is the first time they played the Florida-Alabama game in Florida. So that's usually how the weird, quirking things of the schedule, how it works out. And now after this win, they've won, Bama has won 32 games in a row against the SEC Eastern. That's the Florida, the Georgia. Yeah the Tennessees and those things. But Bama went up 21-3. Like, you should have been felt comfortable in the first quarter. You're 21-3. And that's what's so scary. They're up 21-3, and then they're outscored 26-10 to the rest of the game. Um, just weird. But I'm going to give Bama credit. This is a game they probably should have lost, and national championship teams play games like this and figure out a way to hang on a yeah. win. No turnovers. And they're having uh, uh, Rice Young is a, is a freshman. And in a game like this in the swamp, not to have any interceptions, not to fumble the ball. And that's usually when you see these teams get these upsets. They have those two or three key turnovers. No turnovers kept them in the game. Um, but uh, Emory Jones for uh, 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 for Florida was tremendous because their backup quarterback, Richardson, everybody wanted in the game, is injured, had a hamstring. They mm-hmm. didn't put him in the game. And they were booing him. Emory, they were booing Emory in the first quarter of the game. You could even hear the boos on television, but he was able to lead them on a 75-yard drive and a 90-yard, 9-yard drive, and uh, then Bama had a field goal. They made it 31-23, and then they got three, three minutes to go in the game. Florida actually scored a touchdown, had a chance for two, weren't able to get the, and weren't able to come get the I will g- Emory Jones should have handed the ball off on that, um, on the two-point conversion. It was the option play for either, a, you know, a, a, a halfback dive or a quarterback keeper. He decided to keep it, and then the offensive line for Florida opened up a massive hole right after that. So the game could have gone different ways, but you're right. It, it's Ben, don't break from Alabama. I, Nick Saban was definitely not happy on that ride back to, <laughs> to Tuscaloosa. You know, sometimes you can win a game and not be happy with it, and you can also lose and be happy with it. And I think that's what we saw from both of those teams. Unless it's a wake-up call for Alabama. Unless it's something Maybe. where it's now they'll say, look, we almost lost a game, and they're going to come back. They're gonna, it's going to be – because he kept saying, it's like, we think we're so great. We think we're the Alabama team of last year that won the national championship, but we're not. I mean, that tends to happen. It's like you tend to feel like you are the same team when you really your entire team changes. You have some players with that. But uh, the missed extra point that Florida had in the second – if they weren't missed extra point, they wouldn't have to yeah. go for two there. So those little – things but so close and I think that if you're Dan Mullen you're like but it makes me my takeaway from the whole game was Florida Georgia in a few weeks greatest cocktail party you're not allowed to say that anymore but in Jacksonville both teams look really really good this is a team for the and if Florida wins that game they're going to get a chance to play Alabama again in the SEC title game let's talk about Georgia now because they were going to face off against South Carolina and this one went as predicted yeah total I mean, 40 to 13. Finally, Georgia's getting some offense with JT Daniels. Uh, you know their defense is great, uh, one of the best. In the, you saw what they did into Clemson, even though now that Clemson doesn't look good on offense against Georgia Tech. Maybe their defense maybe is not as good as we think it is. Yeah. But still, at a win in the SEC, Georgia is rolling. And again, that just shapes up. I, I just In my mind, I just keep thinking Florida, Georgia, Florida, Georgia. Let's talk about Oklahoma because this is another team that's winning games, but not in an impressive fashion. No, I mean, that's why even Alabama has a two-point win. But it's really, they're not going to drop. They never would drop in the polls for that. But uh, Nebraska, it's one of those games. It was a 20-point line. Um, it was a 50-year anniversary of the game of the century, which is 1971, when number one Nebraska played number two Oklahoma and won 35-31. Realize this, between 1970 and 2000, Nebraska, that's 30 years, Nebraska won five national championships and Oklahoma won four. So almost one-third of the national championships in the 30-year period were they're just Nebraska and Oklahoma. But uh, Oklahoma was up 23-9. But the thing was, they couldn't run away from Nebraska. Nebraska scored his touchdown, made it 20 316 and then had the ball back and just couldn't couldn't do anything. But it was Spencer Rattler, just another average day. Uh, yeah, he doesn't not, look 
like the he's not looking, trophy yeah, he's not looking like that. Or the number or the number one pick in the draft. Yeah. I mean, that's the one thing is I, I we talk NFL and we talk draft here more than like most shows do. And you're looking at Spencer Rattler and you're like, I'm not seeing uh, Kyle Trask look better than this. <laughs> exactly. And that's his arm strength was poor, he's missing wide receivers, and, and, and those are things like you look you look at Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence. We're gonna get talk about the NFL and how they're struggling in the NFL, and then you're looking at these college quarterbacks, you're like, Oh, Spencer Rattler, like he's not as good as Trevor Lawrence is. And look how he's if he's struggling in college, he's never going to make it in the pros. Let's talk about um, Clemson and Georgia Tech. Well, that was Georgia Tech had lost to Northern Illinois and and to win. Clemson won the game 14-8. This is at 208. This is not the Clemson we've seen now in the, the Trevor Lawrence mm-hmm. years, the before Trevor Lawrence years. Their offense is a mess. And this is a team that's going to get beat. I mean, their defense is great. Their defense is phenomenal, but they are just not. DJ uh, Agalai is not the quarterback that they've had. In the, it's just there is something missing on this offensive side for Clemson. And even though they have a very easy schedule, um, but they the way they're playing, they're not going to get in the ch- they, with that one loss that they had yeah. to Georgia. They're not. There's a chance that even if they run the table, win the ACC, they're not because this is now another poor performance on their part. What about Cincy and Indiana? The game I wanted to see. That's the game I wanted <laughs> to see because Indiana last year was six and one with Michael Penix Jr. with wins over Penn State, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Cincinnati under Lou Fickle. It's fifth year. He's been eleven and two, eleven and three, nine and one. They were eighth in the country last year. Um, this was their chance, but they haven't been in the college football playoffs. This was their statement, one of their first their first statement game. Indiana was up 14-10 at the half, um, but Cincinnati came back, and then with, a, you know, Indiana's driving, and they throw almost a pick six. And Cincinnati ran the ball back and then was able to win the game on the interception. But a huge win for Cincinnati in Indiana sets up in two weeks against Notre Dame. Cincinnati beats Notre Dame. They're undefeated. This might be the chance for Cincinnati, finally a non-Power 5 school to get in. To, and I like the fact that Luke Fickle stayed at Cincinnati and is building that program and did go and try to go to another school. So I, I was, I'm was i happy and I like how Cincinnati plays. Let's talk about uh, Notre Dame and Purdue. Well, that was a game was close, 27-13. And it really, this is this is the key point. They play, Notre Dame plays Wisconsin next week in Soldier Field in Chicago, the game of the day. And then they play Cincinnati, Virginia Tech, USC, and UNC. I, this Notre Dame doesn't look impressive enough. They coming in, they're number twelve in the country. Uh, this team looks like they're going to have two, could have two or three losses. Just not against Purdue. I expected a lot more from them. So, Ira, you came out and you kind of condemned the Pac-12 early on in this season. And it's getting worse from here. They have one school. They have Oregon. And now if UCLA had their signature win over LSU. Then they lose to Fresno State. And Chip <laughs> Kelly, it's like, what is going on? There's nobody. It's, it's the Pac-12 and the ACC are not going to get teams in there. I mean, Oregon is the only chance for the Pac-12 to get teams. To lose to Fresno State was terrible. And uh, just, a, just a wasted, again, you throw away a win. It's like University of Pittsburgh goes and beats Tennessee, and then they lose to Western Michigan. It's like you get a great win uh, that you need to have against a Power 5 school. You can't lose to these other schools. No. Um, Coastal Carolina, we've become friends with them on the show. That was another, a nice win, win. over Buffalo. Yeah, yes. I mean, these games got to win, and, and, and they did do it, so maybe they'll move up a spot or two. Uh, what about UNC and Virginia? I just I wanted to mention the game because Brennan Armstrong, Virginia, 554. I love the name Brennan from Step Brothers, but 554 <laughs> yards passing and four touchdowns. You have to call him Nighthawk, all time. All-time record, <laughs> and Sam Howe finally came back from North Carolina and had five touchdowns. It was a it was a shootout. I watched it. it was one of those uh, ESPN late whatever. I watched the game. They were both throwing the ball. So it's interesting because UNC would has a chance then to beat Clemson in the ACC. So I'm intrigued by them. They're they're they were number twenty one going into that game. So I I feel like I've given Manny Diaz a lot a lot of love on this show and a lot of chances on this show, and Ira, it's getting to the point with me now where I I think. 
maybe it's time to go for Manny Diaz. I just the way this team looks, and especially the in-state thing that Florida goes down to the last minute with Alabama, and you guys just are, seem to be you can't put it together. Well, the Eric King set school record. He had 38 completions, 59 attempts. Uh, and then it, it was amazing with all the quarterbacks that Miami's had, all these <laughs> great fans. That sets the record. Mm-hmm. But he only had three, only 38 yards. But he had two interceptions. He had two fumbles. And uh, Charleston Rambo had, considering he had more catches than Michael Orvin, 12 catches for the, uh, for the game. But this was the worst home conference loss for Miami since they lost 31 60 East Carolina in 1996. That's a long time ago. And uh, this is the Hurricanes are now trailed at halftime in five consecutive games. Michigan State's good. Now Michigan State, but for them to for Michigan State to come in to a ninety degree weather, like I think a lot of people are betting Miami. They're like, well, Michigan State. I mean, they play in it's the coldest yeah. temperatures in the world. They're coming down to Miami. It's ninety degrees. You don't expect this. And it's and it's funny. They ran away from the game in the second half. That's when they were supposed to be getting tired because it's too hot. Yeah, I heard a f- similar story about Buffalo coming to Miami. <laughs> we'll talk more <laughs> about that later. Uh, speaking of other quarterbacks, you know, Nikosi Perry is now at FAU and he's playing poor. And Tate Martell is at UNLV playing terrible. So maybe Miami just can't recruit quarterbacks. Uh, what about Louisville and US, UCF? Well, that was one of those weird games where it was exciting because it was 35-35. Louisville was driving, and they threw an interception on the 41. The next play, UCF had the ball. They throw it an interception, and Jalen Anderson, and his only play of the game, his first time he was in the game, returned it for Louisville for a pick-six touchdown to win the game. But that was uh, – and it just – I feel bad for UCF. It was like one of those games for the American Conference, but uh, for, the, for them to win. But uh, Malik Cunningham, a Louisville, their quarterback, played amazing. But UCF, it was a tough loss for them. I mean, they're the type of school that they really can't afford you. You can't have a win. Yeah, you got to win, gotta win that. It was, it was a very exciting game. They played great. And uh, unfortunately, Louisville ended up winning the game for UCF fans. So maybe FSU's performance is the only thing that can overshadow UM. <laughs> well, they've, they've now lost to Notre Dame. And, and it was like one of those where you talk about bad losses. They lose Notre Dame on the first week, week zero, as they call it. Yeah. Everyone's so pumped. They're excited. This is great. FSU just loses Notre Dame, one of the best games in the world and I was mad that I didn't go to the game that I should have seen that game then they lose to Jacksonville State the next week and then they play Wake Forest and lose 35 to 14 they just can't nothing is working it and we I feel so bad because Florida State but nothing seems to work with them now they're 0-3 uh, they had a bad year last year now another started just a terrible start for a year anything else you want to touch on college football uh, I just two schools Iowa, these games don't matter because they were supposed to win, but I was the fifth-ranked school in the country. They beat Kent State 30-7, to and Michigan, the 25th-ranked team, won 63-10 over Northern Illinois. Both those teams, to me, besides Penn State, they might be the two best-looking Big Ten teams. This Big Ten between Iowa on the one side, but Michigan, Michigan State, uh, Penn State, Ohio State. This is not going to be—Ohio State is not going to just have this waltz to the national championship mm-hmm. game that everyone thought they were going to have. And I, Iowa looks, I mean, I look at Penn State's schedule. Penn State has to go to Iowa in like three, four weeks. I cannot wait to go to that game. That could be where Penn State loses. You ever Iowa, been to Iowa before? I've never been game? there, yeah. so it's my first time. I've, all, I've got these choices, these fake first-time places That'll to go fun, to. Though. Yeah, I, I, I can't wait to see it. And But it's going to be Iowa being number five, but they look great. I mean, if you just did on the looks factor, to me, Alabama's one and Iowa's two. What are we watching next week? Um, some interesting. Notre Dame, Wisconsin at 12 o'clock. 3.30 games, Texas A&M, Arkansas at AT&T Stadium. Uh, Texas A&M is like the fourth-ranked team in the country. Iowa State at Baylor. Clemson's playing NC State. NC State's favored by 10. I mean, I mean Clemson's favored by 10. I would love, I would bet NC State in that game. Clemson's not scoring any points at all. So I would really bet NC State plus 10. Louisville's at FSU for that point. But at, at, at games at night, nothing really that great. West Virginia at Oklahoma State. At Oklahoma, Oklahoma's favored by 17. Nebraska at Michigan State. State, Michigan State favored by five. 
and Tennessee at Florida. So it's really, it's one of those weird weeks where it's not great. All the big teams like Penn State's playing Villanova, Alabama's playing a team that's not, they're going to kill. So it's a weird week in college football. 735, Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel, about 15 to 18 minutes from now. Padraig Harrington joins us here on Iron Sports. So let's go to the NFL. Started off with Thursday night. I got to tell you, I, I, I thought the Giants would get hammered, and I'm a Giants fan. I thought the Giants would get hammered by Washington, even with T- Taylor Haneke. He played pretty good towards the end of, of last season, so we had something to go on. Our friend Dr. Roto said, don't sleep on T- Taylor Heineke. This game was not only fantastic. We've talked about how primetime games this year, the NFL's hit it out of the park so far, with as far as entertainment factor goes. Comes down to the last minute, Dexter Lawrence there. Second, first overall pick from three years ago. Giants. Giants. Second. Yeah. Uh, lines up offside on what would have been a game-ending field goal. Gets moved up five. It gets missed by Washington. Move up five yards. Of course, they hit it because that's how it works in the NFL. Giants lose a heartbreaker. Doesn't look good. And Washington doesn't look as good as I thought they would look either. I thought Daniel Jones played well. He played okay. So I think he had a pass to Darius Slate. They're up 23-20 in the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. Throws a Darius Slate right off his hands. Slate didn't catch it. They're up 10. They win that game. I felt bad for Daniel Jones. I, I thought he moved along. I thought it was one of his better games for him to lose that game. Uh, Barkley did look great. I mean, I think yeah. he, I mean, he looks... And I think that's slowing them down, too, that they want to get Barkley acclimated. They're forcing Barkley yeah, almost. Yeah, and he's it's not, not right, so... It's it's not a situation... It's a situation where a lot of these teams... I think teams are struggling in getting their running backs being used. I mean, anybody who's followed, watching these games realizes that the it's hard to run in the league now. It's difficult to run, and they're just struggling in how to get a running game going. Only one team, Derrick Henry for for the Tennessee Titans, he is... To me, he's the greatest... I, the guy should be in the Hall of Fame for what he's because he is running he ran for 180 yards. He's running so well. No one else in the league runs like him. No one else gets 100 yards every single week and runs great like him and it's just hard to run but I think they don't know what to do with Barkley they're trying to put him in the pass again use him more in the passing game but. yeah I mean they Derrick Henry as you mentioned he's in a, a legitimate 25 carrier guy game and there's really not I mean Christian McCaffrey kind of is but he's an injury threat they want Saquon Barkley to be that because they invested a number two pick in him he can't do that right now maybe six months from now three months from now but right now that team's not working and they're being held back by that so you were at Raiders and Steelers, and this was exciting for you. It's been a little while since you've been to a, a live Steeler game, right? Yeah, it's been a long time for a live Steeler game, and no, but I, I, no, I was actually at Jacksonville Steelers in Jacksonville last year. Okay, I don't, I can't remember the last home game. It was the year before, but which which home game I would have been at? But uh, boy, the fans can't turn out for this game too, and the Raider fans were the uh, Raider Nation. I mean, that's a team that travels, it's and their surprising. fans are great, and everyone just. I mean, you don't have to be from Oakland. You just like it. It's like the Steelers and the history of the teams. I mean, it was the first playoff win. The immaculate reception. The Steelers had a zillion years and losing, and they were playing the Raiders in a playoff game. And they threw the ball at the end of the game as a throwaway play. And it, Franco Harris, it was uh, Frenchy Fuku was supposed to catch the ball, but then a Raider crashed into him. The question is who touched the ball first? And then Franco was like on the other side of the field and he caught the ball. People said that ball hit the ground and then he ran it in. The Steelers ended up winning the game. They lost the next week to Miami. Uh, and that's when those days they didn't, was, you didn't play playoffs at the home field. It was alternating. So even though Miami was undefeated, that that was an undefeated season. They played Steelers, and that but that was the game that everyone says after 50 years of being the worst team in the NFL. Like the Steelers used to be the by far worst team ever. Like they were the Pirates, like but, mm-hmm. but Pirates for like 50 years, and that turned everything wrong. And then they were the city of champions and won four titles in six years and all those great things. So that was the thing. But it was neat to play the Raiders because over a period of time, Steelers and Raiders were the two top teams in the AFC. But just the atmosphere again, it's so different than Penn State. People ask me the question and. It's like there's not the tailgating that Penn State.
state has. But the fans are all dressed. I mean, as much as people wore white, they all wear black and gold. Everybody dresses up. They're not going to the game wearing suits. They're mm-hmm. not wearing little sweaters on Izod pullovers. Or, no. you know, they're all into this, yelling and screaming. And it was exciting. And I sat pretty low in, in the game. I, my pictures on, please go to Iron Sports on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. I have amazing pictures, amazing videos from this game. Pretty cool. So I, I really, I, was like, I think my best shots were of the Steeler game. I got some great, I got Henry Ruggs catching the ball like on this long pass and the ball there. So I really like that a lot. I'm surprised. You, I, I love tailgating at um, Heinz Field was the best NFL experience I've ever had. Tailgating in the outfield, basically, of PNC Park right there. There's such a so cool Three River Stadium. Three River, what it was Three oh, Rivers. Three River. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, I did get them all confused now. But it was just great. Like the way they're, they're set up and everyone was so friendly. You know, all the Steelers fans. It was really a great time for me. Let's talk about this game, though, because we love parody. This is why we watch the NFL. The Raiders now 2-0 and after a big win. And it's just crazy how this worked out that they beat Baltimore last week, which you were cor- uh, correct about. And then they lost to Kansas City. So is the Raiders the best team in the league? Because I thought you guys were going to crack, to crush them, and it didn't happen. I think everybody's betting. The Raiders played Monday night. The game ended like at 3 in the morning. Well, great game. Time, right, great game on Monday night. And crazy ending of the game where they thought it was over, not over. Overtime, this, that, all the crazy things in Oakland. And then they come and they have to play then on Sunday, an early Sunday game. And But not only that, traveling across the, the country, which in teams of the records is like 20, 25% in terms of victories. Mm-hmm. Everybody was betting the Steelers in that game. That's why the line was like five or six, because I think they felt like there's no way Oakland after Oakland, the Raider Vegas, after a win like that could come and win. And uh, But it, it, um, Derek Carr is just, he... <laughs> I heard my, someone call him an early MVP candidate He today. played great. And... The Steelers, it, it was so funny, but both Steelers and Penn State, early in the game, go on a fourth down play early in the game and don't get it. It was like unbelievable, fourth and goal, they don't get it. Uh, but Ben, it was like these field goals. The Raiders were kicking field goals. The Steelers had a touchdown. Ben Ben had an interception that was bad. He didn't look good at the beginning of the game. I think he needs to warm up a little bit better yeah. because he doesn't really warm up. But then he started throwing the ball. Like you're, you're like, look at him. You're like, he's looking so old. And he got hit so hard. That's what it looked like early. And he looks old. I mean, he's a person. <laughs> he looks old early. Then he looks younger as the game goes on. But... Uh, the Raiders kicked another field goal in half. They were 9-7. And then Carr threw to Ruggs. That, that's the guy from Alabama who last year didn't do much, but now they're finally utilizing him more. They go, they go up 16-7. And then this is what the Steelers, the Steelers threw a screen pass to Najee Harris. Najee Harris didn't run the ball well. He had like 16 carries for like 35, 40 yards. But no one tackles him. Like, he's one of the few players that's almost like touch or fly football. They go and they wrap him up, and you can't throw him on the ground. I don't understand why they don't. They got five passes through him, through five passes. I would have thrown 15 passes to him. Because mm-hmm. you get him in the secondary, he's going to do exactly what the plays. There were times when I'm you're there in the game, and I could see where he runs, and they go like left and not right, and I would have thrown it to him. And I think that would be great. But they car through another pass to Ruggs for a touchdown, make it 23-14. And then... Uh, uh, Steelers had a chance. They kicked a field goal, 56-yard field goal, made it 23-17. But then the Raiders, this is a chance where you think the Raiders' defense, would, the Steelers' defense would step up. But look, T.J. Watt got hurt in the game. Yeah. Uh, Tyson Alalo got injured with the defensive lineman. And on Friday, now how does this happen on Friday? The Friday's in a practice of the NFL. They just walk around practice. But both Hayden, their cornerback, and Devin Bush, the linebacker, Bush got yeah. injured in, at a walkthrough. Like, they just walk around. <laughs> like, they're with, who's hitting on Friday in the NFL? Like, this is high school football. Like, what are they doing? How do you you lose? So we were down five starters on defense during the game. And it showed. You know, that's why I I don't know what to put into this Oakland team because I am taking a lot into that. That half of a very good defense wasn't playing, Ira. Um, (laughs) So it's interesting to see what's happening now with these teams fantasy wise because 
I don't know what to make up of a Big Ben. Like you said, he looked kind of beleaguered. Nobody, I mean, Juju had a good game, but this is a team that you're expecting all of these guys to have such volume. And now with Harris, uh, Najee in the mix, I don't know, Ira. It's, it's kind of tough to play these guys right now. <laughs> For a fantasy perspective, I think it's it's just one of those things where I think the Steeler offensive line is just, is it's, it's what people thought. It was poor, and it's, it is poor. They drafted Najee Harris, and even, you could have the greatest running game back, but he's not going to run through a bad offensive line. That's the key. So we talked about amazing primetime games. Now the NFL's gotten lucky. Last night, Lamar Jackson from Boynton Beach was on full display, letting the league know, if I need to win games by myself, I am planning on doing it. So we talk about in the NFL, everybody in Baltimore seems to get hurt. They are, they've lost like, now, like four running backs, yeah. and then you have Kansas City. I mean, San Francisco, I think they've lost seven running backs. How does Lamar Jackson never get hurt? Like, it's unbelievable. Like, he literally is involved in every play, and it's the, the point was they were saying, oh, he can't make him a pass, he can't make him a runner back. He's like, now, he ran the ball 17 times, he threw the ball 30 times. Like, he's just going to get the ball, and this is just going to be playground, because he's just going to do what he has to do. And I the first place he, he throws a pick six on the first play to Tyron Matthew. Then the Ravens respond with a TD, and then when Mahomes has another touchdown, and then he throws another interception. So Matthew had Tyron Matthew had two interceptions yeah. in the first quarter of the game <laughs> on, on Jackson. And I just it's one of those games where I thought the Chiefs were just going to run away with this game totally. Um, it was 28-17. Uh, 28-20. It was 28-17. Uh, Chiefs. They don't pull away. They get stopped. And then the Ravens come down, make it 20. 24. But then that Travis Kelsey, that was one of the best plays I've ever seen. They threw it. Mahomes goes and throws it to Kelsey. Kelsey just he just went through the they could yeah. every player had a chance to tackle him. And he just like ran through them like it was like a video game. It was not even real. He's a wrecking ball. I, I, why do they just do that every single play? <laughs> I just like whatever. And then the Ravens punt. So now the Ravens punt. Now this is a chance for Kansas City to go up 42-24. I'm tired. I knew I had to fly back down here. I'm exhausted from not sleeping. I'm like, I'm going to go to bed. It's 42-24. And what does Mahomes do on a third and 10? He's fallen down and he throws an interception. Like, a what very a poor interception. Horrendous. Like you have total control of this game. And you throw an interception right there. Uh, and his first interception, is, it's not like he throws lots of interceptions, but that was like, that was really bad. And and then the, the then then the Ravens ended up having this touchdown drive, 14 play, six uh, eight minutes long, made it 36-35 Ravens, and uh, and then uh, Kansas City has the chance to so Kansas City gets the ball back, it's uh, down one, and uh, they had the ball second and three in the Baltimore 32 with a minute 25 to go. Game is over. You Harrison Buckner doesn't miss any field goals at yeah. all. This game is over. Clyde Edwards Hilaire, you cannot fumble the ball. He fumbles. The ball, like, how do you fumble the ball? You have Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback. Like, how, like, I, there's no reason he's You're, never getting an important ball again. <laughs> you are in field goal range to beat the Ravens, so you've totally messed up this game. You've thrown away the game, and you then then you fumble the ball, and then then you, I like what the Ravens did because they get the ball back after you fumble the ball, and all they do is they run the clock out on a fourth and one instead of punting the ball, which we've seen a million times. It's like punt the ball to Mahomes. Mahomes with two seconds to go in the game could win the game. Like two seconds, there could be negative two seconds, and he would still win the game. You don't. It's either give the ball to Lamar Jackson on fourth and one and figure it out, get the first down, game's over. Don't give the ball back to Mahomes. That's the key. So, you, you know, you mentioned all the injuries to the running backs of, of Baltimore. Here's something interesting. Le'Veon Bell has been there on the practice squad for about three weeks now. Devonta Freeman showed up three days later. He's on the team. So maybe that goes to show what's left in Le'Veon Bell's tank. Buffalo and Miami. Man, Ira, it just doesn't get much worse than this. And you really want this Miami team to do good. We don't know what 
really, you know, it's, it's still hard to get a read on two. He was knocked out of the game with the rib injury. They are saying he's day to day, but man, not a good look, especially in a division game. Bad loss. Buffalo, I think, losing the Steelers. I think they sort of realized, but again, we talked about Michigan State coming down to Miami and then, and, and then Buffalo coming down to very cold weather teams. How about this? The first time, this is the first time ever where the Hurricanes and Dolphins both lost by 21 points on the same weekend. Crazy. That's a crazy stat. <laughs> um, Patriots and Jets. Man, Bill Belichick really knows what to do to mess with the rookie quarterbacks, doesn't he? Well, I think the issue is that the number two quarterback in the draft, uh, Zach Wilson, played the number 15 quarterback in the draft, yeah. Mac Jones. So you're expecting the number two quarterback to be much better than the number 15 quarterback. <laughs> and it was not even close. I mean, Zach Wilson, who I think is going to have a great career and everything, which just shows you where he's through four interceptions. I, and, and it's one of those games where he threw four interceptions, and, and I didn't see the game, but then people were saying he could have thrown seven or eight. Like it was, it was one a of those, few dropped ones. Yeah, yeah. it's like dropped <laughs> interceptions. Yeah. Like, like it was like the first half, he had three interceptions and then like three completions and like no incompletions. Like he had more, there was no... He threw three picks and four throws at one point. <laughs> not good <laughs> and, and Mac Jones did what he had to do now if you're starting in fantasy you weren't going to be too happy but how about this it's the first time in, since 1991 that an NFL quarterback threw an interception on his first two passes yeah which I was shocked when I saw that statistic. But just um, the Jets are who the Jets are, and Zach Wilson's going to be a tough year. And I think the, 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 I think the, the definition of success for the Jets is can Zach Wilson look like he's going to be your quarterback of the future and he's better than Sam Darnold. That's, what, that's the hope. And that first game, this game last week, was not the, the game to see. If you had a time machine to go back 10 years into, into uh, history and someone told you that 10 years from today – It'll be week two, and Tom Brady will have thrown for nine touchdowns. What would you have said to them? <laughs> this guy is just incredible. Atlanta's bad, but man, the Bucs are off to a good start. So what did Dr. Roto say last week? What about uh, Brady? M Mike Evans. Oh, about Mike Evans? He's so, getting ready to blow So up. he said that Tom Brady is a genius at saying, okay, Mike Evans, for they have so many weapons on this team. And he goes, he had a really bad, he was the only guy person that wasn't like invited to the party. Like he didn't get the cake. The cakes came out and Evans was like in the bathroom, comes back and he didn't <laughs> have any cake. There was no cake for Evans. So the next time they had a party, guess who got the cake first? Evans gets two touchdowns. Yeah. Brady is not only the greatest quarterback at throwing the ball, he keeps everybody happy. He keeps Evans happy. He said, and I told everyone, that's the, that was the, like the lock of the bet for fantasy purposes or for, for betting purposes that he was going to miss. So Evans caught like six passes, 80 yards, two touchdowns. Brady made sure that Evans, and that's what makes him the greatest. Because he keeps in the next week, Godwin's going to get the best. And Gronk still, how about Gronk? He has four touchdowns. It's yeah. unbelievable. But, and they're playing Atlanta. And next week they play the Rams. So we're going to see a different different situation. But no, what a great win for, for Tampa. So the score is a little deceptive too, because it was 34-25. And you're like, oh man, here comes Atlanta, maybe. What's this Tampa Bay great defense? What does Tampa Bay do? Immediately picks him to the house twice. Picks uh, Matt Ryan to the house twice to put that game out of reach. I, I think that maybe it's because there's just a lot of people that hate the Cowboys. I think that a lot of people are really high on the LA Chargers. But this game should have been an easy decision to go Dallas's way. They... They've got an issue with Ezekiel Elliott, though. Tony Pollard looks like the better running back every time he touches the ball. Ezekiel Elliott's getting paid a lot, lot more than Tony Pollard. I don't know what they're going to do, but the Cowboys win, and this is a game that we probably should have saw coming. 
Well, Dallas was up 14-3 earlier in the game, and, and it, it, it was weird. I mean, I was watching. This is a red zone type game that you're, that you're watching on it. Um, I just thought that the Chargers had a chance to win, and they just – interceptions. How about they scored two touchdowns that were nullified by penalties? So they had two touchdowns, and then they turned the ball over the next play, so they could add 14 more points to their total. But uh, Herbert, Herbert looks he's, – he's great. He's a great young quarterback and plays – and you really like what San Diego is doing. But it's like a game that, boy – I mean, the Cowboy fans are all excited. Like, we're so good. I don't know. I, I, to me, I felt like the Chargers, that was their, they were the better team that game. Let's talk about uh, the Rams and the Colts. This game turned out better than I thought it was going to be. Well, the, the Rams right now, the, the, the move just from Goff to Stafford, genius move. Paying dividends quickly. Totally paying dividends. You now have a quarterback that's playing great. Wentz played well in that game. Carson Wentz, but he gets hurt again. Have, have you How seen? sprained both ankles? He's now sprained both ankles. <laughs> he can't be in the game. They have J- Jacob Eason in the quarterback. And it's like one of those things where you pay someone a lot of money. And, the, and that's why you look at Lamar Jackson, and he stays healthy, and he's running around. And Carson Wentz can't stay healthy. But Matthew Stafford looks like he is just loves life. Uh, you're playing for the Rams. You're not playing for the Lions, and everything looks great. And he's Cooper Cup. He's throwing the ball, and it, it was it really this move. This is the Rams. That's why everyone. I, it's weird. The Rams on defense. Even a sneaky MVP bet earlier in the, before the season Matthew's started. Probably yes. like tenth or eleventh in the in the betting. Right. Um, <laughs> every time you were obviously busy, but. Every time you looked up on Red Zone Channel, just kept going to them because Cooper Cup just kept having another massive play. They're just fun to watch. So here, I'll, t- I'll give you a little stat here. Well, not a stat, a betting line. Before the season started, Trevor Lawrence was 13.5 interceptions over or under. He's at seven after two games. So that would have been a pretty safe over bet. <laughs> it's kind of crazy how this is working out. I think it's it's going to be a tough road for Jacksonville here. Um, I still think they'll figure it out. Yeah, I think like it, it. I think I'm still these rookie quarterbacks struggle. I think if you think you're just going to keep betting in Jacksonville, you're going to lose. I think it's I think they're going to get it together. But Denver's played well, and Teddy Bridgewater making the move to him played another good game, and they're winning the games. I mean, they're two and zero, which is a shock to even me in terms of. And they really dominated this game. Twenty two to twelve first downs, four hundred to two hundred yards uh, in to- total yards, and time of possession forty to twenty. But a really nice win for Denver, and they're, they're now look the AFC West with Kansas City and Denver and the Chargers. I mean, they look like they're, they're in second place. Yeah, second right. place at two and zero, but they beat the Giants and the Jags, so not so telling. I said before, NFL keeps getting. I don't know if it's lucky or how you. What do you want to call it? Coincidental, but every. Every time the na- the nation's eyes are on a game, it's fantastic. And, of course, all the 1 o'clock games end, but we have an OT thriller with Tennessee and Seattle. That was a great game. Yeah, Tennessee wins 33-30, which looked like Seattle had that game totally. It did. Russell Wilson was fantastic. Losing at home. The Seattle defense just totally fell apart. And they could not—and this Derek Henry, that's what I'm saying— Derrick Henry is better at what he does than any other player in the NFL is better at what they do. Like right now, there's nobody, there's no running back that is like Derrick Henry. It was unbelievable how he totally took, he won that game himself. And Ryan Tannehill had a good game too. But Derrick Henry, 180 yards rushing. When everyone else is running for 40 and 50 yards, he puts 180 yards. But not just in the fourth quarter in overtime, you just give it to him and just, they can't tackle him. It, it, as the game goes on, you are looking at the players on the defense as like, please don't let this guy run towards me yet again. Tonight, Ira. Detroit at Green Bay. You're 1-0. You got me last week. Let's see how you go this week. 11.5 points is the line. I, I, I think I'm going to say this, Detroit. I'm going to take Detroit in the points. I really think the Green Bay right now, I think that the, the Aaron Rodgers says, relax, don't worry, don't worry. I think there's something wrong with them. I think there is a problem. I think the Lions, this is like, the 11.5 is a lot of points. Now, Green Bay could win it's this game. It's a lot game, of points. But it's a, I love 11.5 points. Well, I feel like I'm going to know a lot more in about 
four hours because either they're going to come out like gangbusters and beat them by 28 points and show we're still here last week. Don't worry about it. Or they're going to play poorly and we're really going to know and it's going to back up. Do you you realize the story like we talk about We've talked about a lot of storylines. What would the story be if the Lions win this game? Oh, Oh my gosh. We can forget about everything else we just talked about because the whole Aaron Rodgers and the whole relaxed thing. If the Lions win this game at Lambeau Field, that would be the story. Patrick Mahomes would love that. Just bury bury our game from last (laughs) night. Let's do baseball in like one minute here. What's going on? It's actually getting really exciting. The American League. The Rays have what Tampa has wanted, their, their division. They're up six and a half. They've still struggled this past week. The White Sox and the Astros are six up. The question is the wild card. And there's really like five teams, the Red Sox, Blue Jays, Yankees, the A's and Mariners, all buying for the wild card. But if you look at it, the Red Sox are, are uh, two games up. Uh, and they have the right. They have a, they have the chance. I mean, they, they have actually one game over the Blue Jays, but they have two with the Mets. They have six games with Baltimore and the Nationals. Now, when I mentioned Baltimore and the Washington, they're minor league baseball teams. Yeah. So they literally have three games against the major league teams. They have nine against minor. They should win this. Blue Jays have three against Tampa, but then four against Minnesota, three against Yanks, and three against Baltimore. I really like the Blue Jays to win. The Yankees, though, they play Boston, they play Toronto and Tampa Bay. You say they have the, you know, in control. Yeah, kind of. But I, right now, the way they're playing, like the Red Sox and Blue Jays, maybe the A's or Seattle could somehow figure a way to get in, but it really looks like it's going to be, I think, either the Red Sox, I think it's Red Sox, Blue Jays. Probably. Would be the two wild cards. And National League is exciting because the Dodgers are the, and the Giants are battling. Like they have almost, they're Play almost exact same teams at the end: San Diego, Colorado, and Arizona uh, for the la- the rest of the season. Um, the Giants are one game up over the Dodgers. I think Dodgers win this. The Brewers win their division, and then the Braves are two up over the Phils. But what's the wild card? The Cardinals now have a three game lead over the Reds, and you're like, oh! And you look at the prediction: seventy four percent Cardinals. But the Reds play six games against the Pirates. The Pirates aren't even a. They should win five easy. They are six. They should win six easy. The Pirates. I've just. They want to lose. The Pirates are trying to lose four against the Nationals and two against the Cubs they should not lose a game like this is unbelievable so I think the Reds might actually pass the Cardinals and get that second wild card spot um, so Ryder Cup season is upon us we'll talk to Pat, uh, Patty Harrington here in just one moment but set the stage for us Ira because I already don't like the line on this the United States, this is a weird, this Ryder Cup is so exciting because the United States team has 11 of the top 13 golfers in the world so you're like wow that's there's no way they're going to lose. Like a slam dunk. But it's usually when we play the Europeans, you don't know the European players. But the European players are very, very well known. I mean, the ones they added were Sergio Garcia, Ian Poulter, and Shane Lowry. So Sharon Lowry just won the British Open. Mm-hmm. Sergio Garcia won the Masters a couple years. He was one of those famous golfers. So they added all this. Plus they have John Rahm, uh, uh, Terrell Hatton, Tommy Fleetwood, Victor Hovland, Lee Westwood. I mean, besides Bern Wiesberger, we've seen, like, if you follow golf, you're going to know all these guys that are on the European team. This is not going to be some unheard of names except Wiesenberger, who... I haven't seen play much. And now the American team is like everyone. Morikawa, Dustin Johnson, Bryson, Brooks, JT, Canelay. The captain picks were Finau, Shoffley, Spieth, Harris, English, Daniel Berger. But I really, this Scotty Scheffler for the last captain pick, I was, Scott Stricker picked, Steve Stricker picked, uh, I, I thought it was ridiculous. Scheffler has never won a golf tournament. Patrick, he passed, took him over Patrick Reed. Patrick Reed has been winning all these tournaments and, and also has been he's in, pretty good in this format. In this format. And then Phil Mickelson, like in this format, they don't just play, they're not playing like in the Olympics around golf. They had alternate shot for two days where you hit a shot, another person hits a shot, or you have the best ball and where you play, you play, but you play with whoever wins that hole. It's a weird thing. It's all the stuff you see Phil Mickelson playing with Tiger yeah. and all this other. That's what he's a master at. And only the final day on Sunday do you actually play against 
somebody else. But who would you rather have? Would you have Phil Mickelson or Scott Scheffler playing in like yeah. the last group? Like you'd want Phil Mickelson for that. I don't understand it. It's a, a, just so against it. <laughs> Let's speak with uh, Padraig Harrington here on Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports, 95.9, 106.9. We're talking to three-time major winner Padraig Harrington, also the captain of the 2021 Ryder Cup. Padraig, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. Hey, you're welcome. It's good to be here. <laughs> so I was reading a little about your background, and I found out that you're an expert in accounting. You've got degrees in accounting. You've got your li- accounting licenses. I guess that helps when you're trying to calculate, you know, being a Ryder Cup captain. You're going to have to be adding up a lot of numbers. So I think it's probably going to be good. I probably, you're probably selected just for that alone, the fact of your accounting background. <laughs> yes, I do like numbers. Uh, yeah, it's pretty easy. But and we do have quite a lot of stats. We we look at all that stuff now. It's uh, you know, it, Ryder Cup. It's uh, moneyball stuff. You're looking at, at partnerships. Who works with who? Uh, you know, who's good at foursomes and four ball or hitting fairways, hitting greens? Yeah, there's a lot goes into it. So yeah, it, you do. You don't want to shy away from it. But I'm sure. Uh, there's all sorts of captains. You could have a captain who's the you know soft and cuddly, motivational guy, and is a captain who's practical and does it by the numbers. So I think if people are a little confused about the schedule, they the um, Ryder Cup this year is at Whistling Straits in 2021 in September, and they moved the Presidents Cup a year back. So now it's going to be on the odd years for the Ryder Cup. And you've have experience at Whistling Straits. I think you played there three times with the PGA Championship. So you you know you're pretty knowledgeable at that course. Yeah, you look, it's a good golf course for the Europeans. Uh, it wouldn't be, you know, for the U.S. players, I don't think they're, you know, it, it's a link-style golf course in the U.S., uh, So the, and the weather could be unpredictable at that time of the year. I think, you know, it's tough for the Europeans to beat the U.S. team on a, a stereotypical U.S. golf course. This is not a stereotypical course, so it gives us a, a much fairer run at the event than, than maybe... Uh, uh, the U.S. players would like. So your experience at Ryder Cup, you've um, been in six as a player. Um, you won four, lost uh, two. Uh, your overall record is, is uh, have won nine, 13, and three in the Ryder Cup. So great experience. You have an amateur Walker Cup, St. Andrews Cup. Wow. And then back to the Ryder Cup for a second. You, you, they reduced the European picks from four to three, but the American picks increased to six. So it's, they've, they've sort of limited your flexibility to put picks in. Was there, what was the reasoning in terms of, of limiting the captain or reducing the captain's picks for the European team, having now double for the American? Well, the reason was, it was my choice. <laughs> I, I get to choose as captain. Uh, my experience is players who get picked can second guess. They're, you know, why they're there and what they're doing and, and, and are under a little bit more pressure if you're picked, trying to justify that pick. Uh, whereas players who qualify, obviously, you know, there's no doubt in their mind. And, you know, if, if I had four, my, my thought process was if I had four picks, would I skip over four times the guy who was ninth in the automatic table? And I didn't think I would. Uh, so... You know, I I thought the guy who's nine would it, even with a pick, I'd probably pick him. So why why not let him be in there automatically, and uh, so that he doesn't have that burden of of you know somebody whoever would be questioning whether he should have got should be there or not. Yeah, and that and then and then it goes also as in the pairings. We talked about your counting skills. I mean, it, it must be so. I mean, there's so much pressure. I mean, you, you made a comment one time is that if you win, you're supposed to win. If you lose, it's all the captain's fault. <laughs> but the point is, in, in terms of pairing, in terms of you're looking at, do, do players get along well? Do their skills complement each other? Do you want to put an older person with a younger person? It's, I mean, all those factors that go into and the pressure to make those decisions. 
Yes, uh, and and we have a team. I have five vice captains, so you know you have a team to work on this. But the, you know, years ago, I, I just think how how backward we were when I was in like an amateur twenty years ago. Like most of the time, you got paired with a fellow countryman, or you got paired with a uh, a friend or something like that, and your games could be completely unsuited. And I, I certainly played with people that my game was unsuited for. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it's much more than that now we use, we still take into account personality uh, you know young and old guys enthusiasm no enthusiasm you know same personalities friends there's a million ways to put, put partnership together but you start off probably with the stats to say that that partnership should work and then you, you work through it based on uh, yeah that you know obviously you couldn't put two guys together you know even if, they, if if on paper it says it works, but you, you you know yourself, no, it doesn't work. Maybe one is a is a very fast player and the other is a slow player, and it would you know they would upset each 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 person's rhythm if if they had to play together. So there's lots of things that go into it there. Uh, uh, but gone are the days where you just pair two guys together because they come from the same country. That's kind of uh, <laughs> that that was that was used over the years. Oh, they must be able to play together since they're both from Ireland, something like that. <laughs> and then I guess the other one I'm asking you all this strategy here with the Ryder Cup I appreciate you, you giving us this information but one last thing is and all my people wondered is like the final singles order on that final day depends of course if you're up or back but do you have your philosophy to go out and put your best players forward like get that lead or, or leave some players for the back at the end where maybe the more pressure will be on the, later in the day it all depends on the players in your team and the position you're in it really does you know you know, you could have your best player could be experienced or your best player could be a rookie. Uh, you're, you know, it really depends on the situation at the time. But clearly, we are aware of, of the strategies that have been used in the past. Uh, and it will come down to looking at how we stand. Uh, you know, it, it could be as simple as, you know, and could be as simple as the player might be tired and you just say well we'll put you later in the order so you get out a couple of extra hours of sleep or, <laughs> or it could be a young player and you say gee we can't put you out late you know you're, the tension and mental energy you'll use up waiting for your tea time we'll get you out early get you up and running and going so that you're not hanging around it, it, you know there's a there's, you know you have to wait for the moment for that Saturday night you're going to have to sit there and go well what's what do these players need and and you couldn't you couldn't do it six months in advance because uh, you, you just don't know what position you're going to be in on on the Sunday. It's like being inside the mind of a you know golf legend, hearing the way he's planning on, on putting all this together. It's fascinating stuff, Ira, and uh, we were lucky to talk to Pat. No, I, and I'm telling you, I think Europeans going to win this again. I, I think you have it. I I don't know if it's a course, but I do think that. Like Bryson DeChambeau is worried about next week he has a long drive competition. So he's practicing his long drives and he says he cows his hands. You have the whole idea with Brooks and Bryson and, and, and whatever. But I, it just seems to me the Europeans, I think when you play as a team, there's, it's more camaraderie. They know how to play. They, if another person hits a shot, they're going to, oh, you left me a bad shot because you're playing their, the same balls. You're, you're not upset. You're like, okay, I'll, get, I'll pick you up. I'll mm-hmm. help you. That's why I think Mickelson needed to be in this. I think you have all these first time players. I, you need to have Mickelson on. They say he's a captain. I don't, 
you don't need a captain. You need him on a course with a younger person playing. He'd be great. I think it's a humongous. And also, when you're a captain, you can't give a lot of advice during, but if you're part players, you can help during the whole. And I just think it's I, it's a terrible mistake by not putting Mickelson on the team. And tell us about what's going on in, in auto racing. Well, NASCAR had a race in Bristol, and it was exciting because there was a fight. You always like these fights at the end of the race, but uh, Kyle Larson passed Kevin Harvick to win. And the reason is, Carvick passed Chase Elliott, who was Larson's teammate, and he got him a flat tire. So what does Elliott do? He gets his tire fixed, comes out, goes in front of Harvick, so he's a lap down, and just goes real slow. Like, this is like, <laughs> you find this in, and then, so then after the race, that it led to Larson pass him, and then Harvick was not too happy what Elliott did, and Elliott said, well, Harvick, you know, he passes everyone, he's always giving people flat tires, but it's great for racing, but then four drivers were eliminated in the playoffs, so now it's down to the final 12, but uh, uh, that was, uh, always have that excitement, Talladega Nights type atmosphere, <laughs> for NASCAR. What are you up to uh, this week? Not sure. We're going to see. There's going to be, uh, it's open. It's up in the open. And then the uh, following week's going to be, that's my big decision is uh, Penn State plays Indiana. Definitely going to that. It's been now a Saturday night game. Do I go to the Lambeau field for the first time to see the Steelers play the Packers? Yes. Or oh, it's awesome. Tampa Bay at New England. Tom Brady returning home to Foxborough. Wow, that's tough. That is the tough call. I got to think. I got two weeks to figure this out. You got to figure this out. Help me. That's a really tough one, Ira. I don't know. We'll talk more about it next week, though, because we are out of time. Thanks so much to Patrick Harrington. He's Ira Mike. Let's talk next next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.